welcome to episode number 15 of the Plant Powered Radio podcast series. I'm your host, Janine Bancroft, grateful to be living and working on the unceded traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples. Thanks to Todd McHatton for the theme music. On today's show, Australia-based psychologist and communications trainer Claire Mann. This interview took place in early June 2020. Claire Mann is an Australian-based psychologist, existential psychotherapist, communications trainer, speaker, and best-selling author. Her best-known work is titled Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World. With over 30 years experience, Claire consults with people all over the world, helping enable ethical leaders, including business owners and social change advocates, to develop exquisite communication skills matched with high levels of self-awareness, responsibility, and purpose. After conducting case study and survey research with hundreds of vegans over a 10-year period, Claire noticed a pattern and created the term Vistopia to describe to describe the existential experience that is commonly diagnosed as a pathological one. An ethical vegan herself, Claire began to speak out on the topic and wrote her best-selling book, Vistopia, to empower and assist vegans in the great challenge of navigating through the world while carrying what she calls the burden of knowing. So thank you for taking the time today, Claire. Thank and you. Lovely to be here. <laughs> absolutely. From uh, the other side of the world, it's amazing what we can do these days. And so there's a lot we can talk about. And I'd like to start with this idea of the burden of knowing. As we're watching um, the slaughterhouses, we're seeing inside now some of the packing plants mm -hmm. and we're hearing about, I don't know if you're getting the news about pigs by the thousands being gassed to death or suffocated yeah. and just thrown away. And so this burden of knowing, um, can you can you tell us what what is this and then how does that connect to the idea of dystopia? Yes. Well, I think the, word, the term itself is very apt, isn't it? I didn't actually coin that phrase. I can't remember who did. I, I had heard it. This burden that when our eyes are opened and we see the world completely differently. You know, people go through all sorts of changes in life and they wake up and they go, well, I, I had this um, breakdown in a relationship or I moved countries and the world changed for me. But I think the burden of finding out that the world isn't what you thought it was, that the ubiquitous use of animals in every aspect of our lives, um, 1.8 trillion animals are killed per year if we take and we should take each individual sea life creature or fish. And in fact, that's probably an estimate because where they're actually measured by the ton. So we start to say, well, something we do every day, something how we eat and how we enjoy our traditions of families and upbringing and we nurture ourselves. There is so much violence on our plate. And that's usually the point at which people go, oh my gosh, I didn't know. And so that becomes our first burden of knowing is the anguish of knowing the, about the industrial abuse of animals on such a ubiquitous scale and a global scale. And then we have to ask, well, what else don't I know? And so it's not just the burden of the, and in and of itself, it's, it's enormous and should be itself of the absolute horrific treatment of other living beings on this planet. But in turn, we then start to un unravel other things. All the people involved in this, the, the, the other forms of oppression that intersect with that, what we're doing to Mother Earth, etc. And so Vistopia, I guess, aptly coins the phrase, which is 
the knowing about the anguish we feel of knowing about the systematized cruelty towards animals. And then when we try to tell people, instead of them immediately getting the ha-ha moment, I'm sure you've experienced it, Janine, they say, um, oh, that would never be allowed. The government would never allow it, although that only happens in certain countries. And we experience what I call a trance-like collusion with this dark and dystopian world that moments before we didn't know about. And they're actually then going along with that, not because they're bad people, because the veil hasn't been lifted. But then we say, well, well, what else don't we know? But then we're called conspiracy theorists. And as you know, Janine, that's something that's very much on the table in terms of the debate today. Well, there's certainly a lot to be concerned about. And people um, like Julian Assange with WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden yes. have, have revealed stuff that, yeah, you know, yeah. suddenly we are like, what mm -hmm. is going on here? Why don't we know this? And why yes. are they so eager to share our private information? But we can't see the inside of a farming um, uh set up so yes. I have I want to turn the question a little bit because as an activist for social justice and peace and environment and poverty mm. and everything else for many 30 years of my life I find um, my a lot of my activist friends and and colleagues are are reluctant to 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 discover this extra burden of knowing it's almost as if i've got enough to know i don't really want to know about that extra animal piece now maybe that's yeah. shifting now but I, I, do you experience that as well yeah absolutely i think because of the it's such a layer food affects our life that's usually the interface with which that's the biggest change people can make is to stop consuming animals and contributing to that but as you know janine it's it's not just about that it's a whole philosophy of the the non-use and exploitation of animals including non-human um, animals and i think it's that's actually I, I, I don't know if you know but there's a companion now to Vistopia called myths of choice why people won't change and what we can do about it oh, cool. Because a lot of vegans come and they say, well, I've become aware of this. I've perhaps learned strategies and ways to transmute that grief like you have into positive action for change. But when I tell people they won't change and they're, they're good people, they're out there, the protests, the rallies about environments, they're recycling, they're you know, very careful about where they make their purchases, they're not buying them from sweatshops, they're good people. And they might even grow their own food and live off the grid. But why won't they encompass this? And so I talk about myths, unquestioned assumptions, um, social and cultural expectations that some are conscious and some are not of how we are meant to live. And we see it all the time when we talk about veganism. Many people immediately say, where do you get your protein? And we look at them and we think, I've only taken my car in for a service and suddenly the mechanic is asking me about protein. Now, he or she don't really know what that is, but it's because it's an unquestioned assumption. Well, everyone knows we need protein. I heard it on somewhere. And so people say this, or we all need milk. It's good for our bones. Whenever we hear these cliches, um, or a should, we must, we ought, there is an underlying myth, an unquestioned assumption. And so I think when you're, you and I are trying to expand people's a window of compassion, really, to non-human animals, People realize they, they have to change something so fundamental about themselves, their traditions, their habits, their associations with dad taking them to the fairground when they were a kid and buying a hot dog or something. It's so embedded, I think, with our identity, who we are, our comforts, our refreshments. Um, and then we have to go and tell other people who are perhaps even think we're a bit, you know, 
strange because we've got a composting toilet I happen to have is um, we're now going to say, well, I don't eat that sort of food. Um, and not only that, you can't eat it either. It's so it, it becomes, and then people resist and they sort of don't tell me what to do because I think it's that sort of embedded cultural and social assumptions that make up people's identity, their existential being in the world. Whereas, you know, if you and I, we, we come across racism, you know, it's very much topical at the moment. And you and I and your friends are going to go, my gosh, that's awful. Of course, I don't agree with that. And we go about our daily lives and we will not contribute to that. Um, but we cannot do that with um, animals. If we don't take massive action every day, every time we pick up a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and make a different choice, we are contributing, even if we're good people. So I think the resistance comes because you can't be a little bit pregnant. You've actually got to fundamentally make choices in this ubiquitous use of animals world that um you know you've i think they resist it because it's not a passive reaction about values you've got to take action hmm. but the beauty of that too is that it's very powerful and it's immediately powerful and again as an activist um, a peace activist for example for all these decades you know i've been to rallies and i've signed petitions and i've you know all of that and nothing's really changed but in that same amount of time, I've just myself by not consuming animals, I've spared a lot of it. Like there's a really uh, an immediate uh, satisfaction to it. So it surprises me that people don't want to change it. And I've heard a lot of vegans say the hardest part of vegan, being vegan isn't the food. It's, the, it's that everybody else doesn't want to change. So yeah. this is the, at the heart of dystopia. And it, it must be wonderful for um, people who are really anguished with it. Uh, maybe you could talk about some of the symptoms of, of dystopia. Yes. What happens to people when they just can't cope with this response? Absolutely. Well, I think this is where there was potential for this diagnosis. And it's still going on. And, and thank goodness we have a word because I, I don't see it as my word. I think it's our word. And because I had to tell pe the world, particularly medical establishments, what it wasn't. And um so often the symptoms get mixed up. There's, there's often enormous despair and, and mental anguish is just knowing about just what we're finding out about what's happening to animals. It's never going to be okay. You know, I've been a vegan only 10 years, actually, although I've been, I was vegetarian 40 odd years ago. I just wish I had known what I know now, as we, as we all say. And that's why we must keep advocating because people will thank us when they, we give them the opportunity to align all their values with their actions. And there's this anguish, there's often anger. The normal grief process is actually, is firstly disbelief and shock, oh, this can't be. This is certainly, this is Indonesia or China or some terrible country. Uh, and then we find it's on our doorstep. And then we feel duped. We think, gosh, this is what I'm feeding my children. This is what my parents fed me. Um, have my parents lied to me or don't they know? Um, so is there's disbelief, then there's shock, and then there's anger. Then there's this awful depression and depression, if you think about it, is being put down or being pushed, feeling pushed down or you, you're, being, you're pushing something down is because you, you start to talk to people and they don't get it. And they tell you that you don't be bossy or preaching to me. And it's so obvious to us. And there's also, I think, there's a post-traumatic response when people become aware of, you know, watching some videos of what is legal industry standard practice. That's another layer when they go, Oh my gosh, it goes, this burden of knowing goes even further because people, um, 
you know, the government allows this. This is this is legal. You know, animals don't have any legal status like companion animals, right? they can't even protect them. So we start to get really despairing. So it's all the symptoms of grief, post-traumatic um, responses. So we've got nightmares, we've got startle reactions, we've got outbursts of rage, we've got flashbacks of particularly people that do undercover work or aren't very much in the front line. When we um, see another image or an abuse, uh, you know, somebody hit a dog or something, immediately, our neurologically and physically, our bodies go back there. So there's physical responses. There's and often coping mechanisms of overeating, undereating. I've come across self-harm, increased use of substances, um, and enormous deterioration in self-care. So there's a lot of guilt as well. How have I got a right to live? So there's this whole shift in consciousness really and the person says i just found out what was going on and then my life is you know it's this is terrible um but we have to navigate through that so there's some of the symptoms i get and you can imagine if someone goes to a psychiatrist or a doctor or psychologist or social worker they will try to dig away and find out what is wrong as if you know we'll get back to normal and so when the vegan says about this often the solution is well you're oversensitive or you know, you can't tell other people what to do. And then our anguish is made 10 times worse because the doctor or the psychologist doesn't get it. And in fact, they're partaking of it. Not because they're bad people, it's because they haven't yet had that veil lifted from their eyes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that you're doing a webinar this weekend with Will Tuttle. And and he speaks a lot about this, how we're born into this culture and, and, and that yeah. becoming vegan isn't about giving something up. It's about liberating ourselves from this programming that we don't even realize that we've we've been programmed um he i also i was just happened to be listening to him this morning and i think it was i've mixed up my notes between his and, his <laughs> and your book but i think it was he who, who talked about perpetrator induced traumatic stress disorder as um, something that workers now, it's a new term, I guess, that, that because of people who have to do this horrible work. Well, um, anyone who's on social media at the moment or has anything to do with the outside world, and a lot of people are sequestered at home, of course, you know, so cloistered at home. Um, we start, we're starting to see an enormous amount of trauma every day coming into our lives. Um, and I think people are getting mixed up with, people are polarizing in the same way of vegans and non-vegans. And so we have this debate going on is, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Oh, there's this terrible virus. It's, it's, we're all going to, we're all in trouble. This is really serious. The government's doing the right thing, locking us all down. And then the other side saying, well, just a minute. Um, you know, didn't we find out about the ubiquitous use of animals and that was hidden in plain sight? What else don't we know? So suddenly the vegans are, go, are opening up to that last stage is what else don't we know? And they're asking a question. And often we're seeing that polarization and we're seeing people that we would have either respected or had sat around at a vigil or had dinner with attacking another person, depending on where they are on that sort of debate. When in fact, all the vegans doing is either asking a question or saying, I'm scared. What do I do? And, in, and I think what Will and I have been talking about is, you know, nobody has a monopoly on this. There are hugely uncertain times, as there always have been. But I think what we've started to realize is society, our shadow, what has been in the dark is coming into the light. We can't get away with how we are treating animals, planet, other people. 
um, you know, this huge superiority and exploitation of others. I think it's now coming to the fore. And we're seeing this on a regular basis. And then we're getting that polarization. So I guess Will and, and Mai's attempt is realizing that each of us is someone else's society. The world isn't out there. The world is us. We are. And what can we do to get our own world, our own internal world, aligned, peaceful, to nurture ourselves, to be kind to ourselves, and then actually connect with others to, to not fight war, <laughs> to no violence with violence as ever were, is actually to create peace, is actually to be generous with other people, to collaborate, to talk about our relationship with death, actually. I think half the problem is, particularly in the West, we don't, we don't have a relationship with death and we're afraid of it. And yet when and people won't even talk about it. And yet it makes our living far more enriched if we start to talk about us as spiritual beings and having this physical experience. And so, so I'd just like to, to see if, if what I'm thinking is, is what you're saying is, is just as there are, um, you know, as I mentioned, these activists, wonderful people who advocate on behalf of other co important causes. There's so much oppression and so much work to do in our world. And, yeah. and people find where they really fit. You know, they find what's passionate mm. with them. And, but as I mentioned, often that does not include the animal piece. And mm. then in the vegan world, I've, I've um, noticed that sometimes we disagree, like sometimes there's racists and sometimes there's transphobic people. Is that what you're speaking about? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, well, that's right. It happens in all sorts of ways. It's fear of the other, isn't it? I think we have this myth that we're separate, really. And that are um, just because we've got different colors, shapes, sizes, backgrounds. But I always say, you know, every we come to the world with all our normal problems in life, and then we throw dystopia on top as vegans. And I think, and this is something I'll talk about at the weekend, is we think we found our family. You know, we, we suddenly we can only talk to other vegans who really get it. And you know, I'm think I was thinking recently. You know, I go to vigils or I, you know, I do a lot of speaking, of course, but. Um, and I, am, I may not know the other people I may have known for years. I don't know what they do for a day job <laughs> because it's never come up. <laughs> and so that always comes to a lot of people. It's superfluous. Oh, that's a means to an end. Um, I think what's happening at the moment is differences were always there, but they never came to the fore because we focused on this one thing. Now we've, um, and often the, the, the oppressor is out there. It's the meat and livestock industry. It's the pharmaceutical company. It's the carnist. It's, it's out there and we're in this together sort of thing, vegans and non-vegans sort of thing, against non-vegans or against the system. Is, however, at the moment, everybody has become a bit of a threat, particularly if people believe that they can catch a virus from someone which, you know, we've had some amazing doctors um, coming online to question this in terms of how these things are transmitted. We're not trying to get into that at all. Um, but what I, we are getting into is the censorship that then results when anybody gives anything different to the narrative. Um, and so whatever's happening, people are thinking, well, oh my gosh, everyone else is the threat. So you and I can walk down the street at the moment and we used to be anonymous, i.e. we just go about our daily business. Now people are either questioning, why haven't you got a mask on, Janine? Or if you have got a mask on, someone will ask to say, how ridiculous, they've got a mask on. Suddenly there is the age of surveillance. It's actually come between people. And this happens in all forms of war and oppression is people get their neighbors to, to, to speak out against them. They're, you divide and conquer, really. 
okay? And so I think what we're trying to do is to actually talk about what is really going on for people, encourage people to connect and be curious and ask people, what's going on for you? It's, you've shared another perspective and another idea. That doesn't make you a bad person or someone I need to stamp out because you've made me uncomfortable because what if there was another picture? Either way. So we're trying to, I think two elements for me has always been the case, uh, Janine, is for us to really show up in the world and, and speak out for peace. Um, we need high levels of self-awareness. To become aware is, what is my part in everything I'm creating? Okay. And then the other bit really is exquisite communication so that we gain rapport with people. We partner with people. We get curious. We ask questions before we jump to conclusions about what they think or what are the consequences of what they've just posted. And it's very difficult to do that, I think, for people when they're in a state of fear and panic. And that's been some of the tools and techniques we'll, we'll be sharing with people to to do that because if not we're going to feel even more lonely and isolated as vegans mm -hmm. yeah the virus has um certainly um brought a lot of new awareness around yeah. a lot a lot of things and and i think the self-isolation is causing people to has people have time now to sort of think about things and how they're reacting to things and what's triggering them and all of that um one area that i'd I'm also noticing there's a lot of disagreement is among um, new uh, people who are new to the plant-based world. So mm -hmm. it's great. They've got the message. They, they want to be able to call themselves vegan because that seems to resonate with them, the idea of that. But then they say, well, but, but wool is okay because the sheeps uh, don't get herb and they have to get sheared mm. because it's hot and they need, you know, and so, or they say, oh, well, but, but honey is okay because, so they want to be identified as vegan, but veganism is a very um, strong definition. And I think all of us mm. who are vegan actually agree on that definition, but there's kind of this new group yeah. of vegans that want to kind of <laughs> change the boundaries. Are you encountering that, Claire? Yeah. I think so. And I yeah. think um, I think we, we're to some extent we're to blame as activists in one sense, because we are so desperate for people to stop hurting animals and in turn people on the planet that we we start to sort of negotiate a bit with people. Well, why don't you try this meat free Monday? Because, you know, and. I don't hold as such strong views like Gary Francione of I'm an abolitionist. Absolutely. But I, I don't, um, and he openly criticizes all different groups that, you know, either put slaughterhouse footage into people's faces or do the meat free Monday. And I think different people are trying to look at it. What does it take for a society to change? Now, when we talk to other people, you know, often they did do a meat free Monday and then they suddenly realized that was, you know, a the limitation to them is diet but once they get the ethics of it meat-free mondays diet if you had to live on french fries for the rest of your life it really wouldn't matter um is and i think this we make a mistake sometimes we're desperate to try and get people in via the environmental link or the food link or the health link um, and i think that has to be the means by which we literally pull people in to have the conversation so if your mechanic says um you know, where do you get your protein? Firstly, ask a question. What do you mean by that? You know, you want to know if they're doing a part-time PhD in nutrition or whether they're just saying this, then you can answer it properly. And then you'll answer that question and then move it into the social justice issue. And I think um, we've, veganism, as, as you know, you 
you've got to get people to the you don't even have to like animals. I think that's people try to say, oh, we've got to be compassionate to them. You know, they deserve to be looked after. Is if, well, if they didn't and they were ferocious beasts, or oh, we don't have to look after them then, they deserve to be left alone. <laughs> and I think um, showing compassion, of course, we're taking action to try and alleviate their suffering and take it away. But we're not doing it because we should be nice. It's about us. We're doing it because it's wrong to cause harm you know? Um, and so um, I think a lot of the new vegans, as you say, come in because perhaps they've, the waters have been a little bit muddied. And I think it's keep coming back to people. You know, I spoke to someone the other day and they said, well, what's the matter if I go to a friend's house and they've got a chickens or hens that give put eggs? And I said, they said, would you eat them if they were going to be thrown away? I said, well, number one, they're probably not going to be thrown away. But, you know, if we constantly, if we're looking at fairness and equality if you went to a young woman and said well you're not using your eggs you mind if i borrow one <laughs> we would be horrified or if our sister or brother died and someone said well they're dead now should we chop them up and eat them we want some sort of recognition of their being and um, the sacredness of life and of course the vegans saying well apart from the fact it's stealing <laughs> um once we allow a little bit of stuff a little bit well no one's gonna hurt or be harmed no one's you know we are in some sense saying it's okay to do it as long as no one's suffering well who's going to define that um but it's just um so i think the more we share the social justice issue with people and explain to people that sadly you know even if nobody was going to be hurt by having wool, by having honey, by having these, the egg in the backyard, actually they are suffering. You know, um, hens, as we know, used to create one, they ovulate one, they're like humans, many way, they ovulate one or two eggs a month. We have genetically modified them. So they used to have 12 to you know, 15 eggs, um, eggs a year, sort of thing, when we left them alone. Um, sometimes they were twins, I guess, is we now have modified them and brutalize them that they produce 300 imagine we had 300 eggs produced a year as a woman it would be the toll on our bodies so even though we might say well that's happened now we are saying that system is okay the damage is done now and i think energetically and spiritually we are contributing to the violence so i think we can't be half pregnant here <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line is 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 about leaving them alone and and letting them Absolutely. be who they are and that it's not mm. for us. It's not a product. You hear you hear oh. sometimes you hear people say, "Oh, isn't it nice that the bees made this honey for us?" Well, the bees didn't make the honey for us. Part of the difficulty in trying to speak to people, sometimes I find it's just easier. I just have to shut my mouth because I'm at work or I am in a situation where there's, there's so much I could say that I honestly don't even know where to begin here. And yeah. really, you're not going to hear it anyway. So sometimes I feel like I just need to be quiet. Otherwise, it's going to become disruptive. And then, and then afterwards, I feel guilty for not having spoken up. So I think part of being vegan, a big part of it is accepting that, that we're, we're never going to be perfect. We're not perfect. We're never all going to agree on, on everything. And, yeah. and that it's okay to not be perfect. But I like what you, um, what you, the word you use, exquisite communication. Mm. So 
you know, what do you, what do you mean by that, Claire? Absolutely. Well, I think we should be taught how to firstly learn and apply active listening at school, but we aren't. You think everything is based on relationship, everything, our relationship with ourselves, our bodies, our ideologies. And yet we're never really given any skills to be curious. We've fallen into reductionism is tell me the truth. You know, science has become the arbiter of all truth. Anyone who shows anything fluffy or new age, you know, it's it's such a smugness, really. And it's just one way of looking at the world. And if all we have is a hammer, every problem becomes a nail. So I think we've lost or we've got to relearn our curiosity in conversations and to become these exquisite communicators. So I always say to people is the very thing that you've just experienced. We don't know what to say. We think it'll be a fight or someone at work will raise their eyebrows, something like that. And so we then we feel guilty. We should have said something. Our bit of embarrassment or a sharp word from someone is nothing to what these animals are doing. So this cycle goes around. And I say to people, it's rather than telling people, we just want a chink of consciousness. We want them to be a little bit uncomfortable in their comfortable word, world. And I, you know, wholeheartedly agree. Um, the reason I mentioned Gary Francion, because I've been listening to him a little bit at the moment. I'm trying to, you know, he's very extreme with his views, I know. And, um, but he, he talks about, you know, so often when someone passes us the milk at work or something in the joint fridge and we say, oh, no, I'm vegan. Now, the association of vegan, of course, is, oh, you're one of those either gluten-free people or you're fussy or, oh, that's all right. I think we've got some soy. End of conversation. Whereas when we actually say, thank you, but I don't eat animals, even if they go or ignore it, we've made the association that it's not about a fussy diet or our needs or our lactose intolerance. It's actually about we don't eat animals. And they, in the moment, there's a little bit of discomfort there. And often that erosion over time or, or you come across something else and sometimes it's a statement. They say, oh, well, we were meant to eat that. Um, this was meant to be for us. And if you feel overwhelmed at that moment and you think, oh gosh, I don't want to argue with them, just say something like, is that so? Because actually I, I did some homework on this and it seems that not only is it not necessary, it's actually enormously one of the worst things we can do for our health. And then stop talking. You've just got that little chink. Mm. Um, or ask a question, what do you mean by that? Because then... They are forced in that moment to have some association with milk, cows, animals in their head that there's an internal experience they have to tell you in relation to what they've just said. Oh, everyone needs that. So once they hear their voice and they say that, we've got a chance to go, actually, if we, when we look a little bit further or some of the work I've done, it doesn't seem to be quite like that. So there's a little bit of discomfort and we can build on that. And then they watch something on the television or they see an advert or a friend of theirs has a heart attack and then they suddenly have to change things. And it's all this like this little relay race and we're moving along that tipping point when people all, but we've got to get to the ethics ultimately. If not, they'll keep negotiating. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've noticed over the years that um, people have already prepared their response as soon as I say oh well do you know that you know there's a new study out that shows that you can cure your type 2 diabetes or you know make at least alleviate the symptoms and then they've already got a response to that they've already figured something yeah. out 
So at that point, you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what to say, but I like to think sometimes that, as you mentioned, we, we sometimes we can just kind of make a little yeah. something like plant a seed and yeah. we never really know where that might lead. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, Janine. I think another thing is I think what happens to us is we, there is no argument against veganism. <laughs> we know that from a health point of view, from environmental, from ethics, from our consciousness, from our alignment with our values, from energetically the, the grief and pain and suffering that then goes into our bodies. We kind of know this. So I always say, stay from that point. Okay. Now we may not have all the science to hand. We may not have all the studies. Anyone who's watched Game Changers, the new documentary, even the director or the producer was on for four hours debating health issues on the Joe Rogan show, apparently. Um, so once we start going down there, someone will always come up with a study or something. Stay with the ethics and actually we can refer them to things. And I think we're so, because we know there is no argument, that might sound a little bit smug, but there really isn't any bad news here, is I think we, we're so eager to give them the opposite. Whereas if, why don't we, when someone just says, oh, well, I've come across this other study and you say, oh, that's interesting. Can you tell me more? Because they're not expecting that. They're expecting the preachy vegan to go, oh, that's a load of rubbish. Probably, you know, won't comment on that, but um, it's just so when we actually um, say, oh, what is that? And they come up with it and say, oh, it'd be interesting. Perhaps you could send it to me. This one I came across in the work of Dr. Michael Greger or something. I tell you what, why don't you read this and I'll read this. Why don't we come back and have a chat? And they're not expecting that because they're expecting you to, you know, not do anything or they've, they, in many ways, we, in generosity to them, we want to not allow them to shoot the messenger who's Janine talking at the moment, because they will look at us in the future and say, why didn't you push Janine? Because actually, if I'd known then what I know now, I would be vegan. So I think this is, um, important that so be i encourage vegans to be generous even though we go okay then tell me about how good milk is for us because <laughs> we know it really isn't and it's also just crazy that we would but then that chink of consciousness might be is um we ask them another question is like um oh everyone knows you need to have milk and say actually do you know i've been trying this um i'll just choose an animal giraffe milk it's absolutely extraordinary what oh that's awful or actually human breast milk i knew it might be a bit but why not we were humans we've you know we're allowed to talk about you know i've actually you don't have any human breast oh that's awful oh people really want to drink their own breast milk and say actually haven't you ever thought how weird it is that i often use the word we and i say isn't it weird that we're all drinking milk and it's from another species now i haven't drunk milk for actually that is about 25 30 years is but when we use the word we the oppressors over there, the abuser of the animals, the craziness of the system, whereas as opposed to I'm a good vegan and you're a, you know, eating the suffering of animals, use the word we. Is, you know, isn't it crazy we've been told to eat this and that all this evidence is that, you know, to do it a bit matter-of-factly, so obviously they know your history and whatever. Um, but when we use the word we, neurologically it does something different to the brain. Mm. we're in this together i'm not against you and they can't push so much because if they push they're pushing against the we which includes them in the moment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we could add um the covid i think to to the list yeah. of why we need to be vegan and um i think most people yeah. understand that we would not be here in a vegan world but there That's are still right. 
people who who don't understand that the the virus has come from those results yeah. of animal agriculture. I saw something when I was looking up uh, your work in in terms of what's going on in Australia and and the live uh, export or the export of live mm. animals. Is that and you guys yes. were taking them to court or something? Can you tell us about that? Yes, absolutely. That's something that's really very dear to my heart because. I, as I said, I became vegan about 11 years ago. Um, and, I, and I say to vegetarians, I, could, I was vegetarian for 30 years. Luckily, I thought I was allergic to um, uh, milk, but I just found out I wasn't a baby calf. It was quite extraordinary. <laughs> um, and, but when I came that, it's, it's because I became aware of what happened to the factory farm of pigs, and I was just horrified. Because I'd become a vegan after just even reading about a slaughterhouse, sorry, a vegetarian, because I, and I thought I was doing the right thing. That's why I implore people to keep talking to people. But as you know, 40 years ago, it wasn't so much talked about. But um, so when I um, was in Australia, I really became involved with Animals Australia. And the live export trade was um, something I first got involved in. And I stood at big rallies when we had that um, massive shift in what happened in Indonesia, which happens all over the world, including our own countries we live in. Um, and so over 80% of the Australian public want live exports to end. In fact, when only, oh, it must be coming up for a couple of years now, there was a pioneering young man who, who I know in Australia, a young Pakistani lad who was working on a ship, you might have seen this around the world, where he took undercover footage of what was happening to sheep on a, mm. um, on, on the, the boat at the time. That hit mainstream news over here there was you know, massive attempts to try and stop the live export trade. It was the non-vegan public also that were throwing money to have a court case to end live exports. It wasn't even just the vegans, the, the Australian public, because they think it's over there and it's awful. They haven't quite made the connection with their own eating habits, but it shows that we just have to expand that window of compassion. Um, but what has happened, um, I mean, that was more recently, so it's very much in the public psyche, but 11 years ago, the then Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, put a temporary ban on live exports. Unfortunately, she gave in and went back with certain conditions and trying to control supply chains. Um, what has then happened is that the live exports have taken, um, I think from about 2014, they've started to take legal cases against their suffering and loss of money. And it was only earlier this week, end of last week, that a federal... Um, judgment was made is that the Julia Gillard government acted wrongly to do that. And so they live exports is now continuing, which is absolutely horrifying given what we know is happening. We just had a small win is that they're not allowed to export during the, the Northern summers, but oh, if it was in the middle of winter, it would be the, the suffering is unimaginable of so, what is actually going on there. Mm. So it's mostly sheep then that they're exporting to uh, to Asia or where? Well, no, it was um, at the time back in 2011, I guess. Uh, no, yes, 2011. It's only this literally last week, the memory of it. People around the world might have seen um, Tommy, who we gave a name to this beautiful cow, beautiful steer waiting, watching other animals and she was literally shaking on the tele on the television footage and people empathized with that though they saw her fear his fear and um but that was um cows at the time um but the more recent one two years ago um where the young man took undercover footage which was shown on the um uh, 
Four Corners was the one 11 years ago, and then it was 60 Minutes, which brought, you know, a more thing to the public eye. Uh, that was sheep. However, there's sheep, there's cows, they're um, looking at exporting camels, which is unbelievable, because these animals literally for six weeks will sit with their bent necks. It is just unimaginable suffering. Um, cows are washed up on the shore in certain countries. The how seasick they are, they live in their feces. We know that the reality. The awful, I mean, you and I, if we went on a boat, we get seasick. We can't even imagine what it's like to give birth in those conditions. It is macabre what is going on there. Mm. Um, you know, and then of course, we're being sent to other countries where animals have even less, we have even less control about what happens to minimize the suffering if ever we could. Um, Otherwise, Australia, I think, have had nearly 20 uh, exposés of what happens in the live export trade abroad, and it's a very filthy picture. Um, so, yes, so this is happening at the moment. And I think, again, it's society's shadow. I mean, we're starting to realise what was in the dark can be brought into the light. Um, and people are really getting anxious at the moment because they're thinking, my goodness, we saw all that. And yet the government is allowing corporations to say that they lost money through this, that, you know, farmers around Australia are prepared to subject those animals to this. So people are getting even more fearful and they're starting to despise other human beings, which of course, and Will and I will talk to this, is that's adding to the fear and it's actually whipping up more violence. We need to move to another trajectory, which is um, bringing people into, you know, resonating with peace. (laughs) And, and peace begins on our plate. So we can Absolutely. accept personal responsibility. We have to accept personal responsibility for Absolutely. how we're living. But, you know, there is this big corporate government collusion happening. And, yeah. and um, hang on, I've got notes on what Will calls it, the military-industrial medical and media complex. Right. Absolutely. So it's perpetuated through the media as well. The, the images yeah. of people enjoying their burgers are just consistent, mm. and, and, like constant. And um, mm. so, you know, there is this big system that is currently crumbling in uh, our neighbors to the south here. Uh, it's really scary mm. watching what's going on with the United States right now. Um, and I think people have in stages throughout uh, history woken up to the, the idea of, you know, the hierarchy, whoever's at the top of the hierarchy, there's always oppression that comes from that. And um, Occupy Wall Street was was a good example mm-hmm. of that. But now we're seeing, you know, it's such an opportunity for change with, with this virus, I think, because we we are seeing what's happening with the animals and people are making different choices and yet the governments are still talking about bailing out the farmers and you know so that's the part i find most frustrating and yet i try to think that well those places governments and corporations are are made up of people if we just keep trying to work on the people i don't know what where do you go with that claire well we need systemic change really don't we it's um i think it's very very shocking to people to think I mean, I'm of an era, um, perhaps you are too, a similar vintage when we, um, you know, we believe the government was there to look after people, <laughs> you know, and that uh, we'd vote and then we'd all, it was a democracy. It's not democracy. You know, we're often choosing between, it, the system is, is flawed fundamentally. Um, 
And we know that, and there's different interests and stakeholders and, and things involved. But we, it hurts us when that sort of happens. To imagine the levels of corruption and greed, I think is, and it surprises me that vegans don't ask more questions about the bigger issues, because they know what corporations and greed has done to abuse animals in the way it does. If they're, who, who creates these machines, these engineers that create the machines that do these things to these animals? What mentality sits around a table with a prototype and says, this will kill so many chickens a, a second? It's, it's macabre and, and people are all complicit, in, involved in that. Nobody's, doesn't matter who does the hit, we're all involved in that if we, we partake of that. And so I think it's, People, I mean, I gave away my television 18 years ago, and I implore people to do that, <laughs> is if people are blindly believing the media at the moment, they're blindly believing health departments that have lied to them and lied to 99% of the population um, about what they should be eating. And yet even vegans are so frightened at the moment, they go, oh, gosh, we've got to find a solution here because, we're in, because people are in fear. Mm. And yet I think it's, um, we've got to look in corporate media is owned by six major corporations. And so how could we, we're actually then funded by pharmaceutical companies and meat and livestock industries. And so, but we think, well, where do we go? Where do we, how do we move from there? So we certainly need systemic change. And I say to people, you know, have you ever noticed when we've got a problem, you're always there. <laughs> and so, you know, if we want a healthier, peaceful, kind, healthy, sustainable world, Let's start by donating one healthy, kind, sustainable, wholesome individual ourselves. Okay. And I know in Vistopia, I talk about the concept of entrainment. And this is what's happening at the moment is, I don't know if you remember that, Janine, but it's, um, it was a, a Charles Hugan. He was a European. I, I'd like to think he was Swiss because I'm going to talk about clock making, but I don't think he was. And Charles Hugan's in um, late part of the 17th century, um, was a clockmaker, and he had these beautiful old grandfather clocks. And of course, if anybody knows the pendulums, they're all swinging at different rates. And he had them in his shop, in his um, place where he was working. And over time, he realized that all those clock pendulums all went to synchronize. So they were all swaying at the same thing. And he, he had a large number, and he thought, has somebody come in and done this? So he did an experiment with tens of these beautiful old clocks. And he found that over time, they all started to oscillate together and he started to with others to do research in this and he came up with the concept of entrainment and entrainment is where two or more um, oscillating bodies over time will oscillate in synchrony okay it happens in with clocks it happens in physics and biology horticulture architecture um, but it also happens in society and what we're finding at the moment is that those pendulum clocks are in training to fear and violence and attacks and polarization and the little the ethical vegans over here resonating and saying come over here and so the best thing that vegans can do is to resonate with the world we want to create with peace with non-judgment with inclusiveness with kindness with acknowledgement that people are afraid rather than saying you're making it worse by attacking this. And then, because we want people to entrain over here, we've seen it already with people's eating habits. Certainly, you know, people are going, you go into the shopping aisle and you'll see people are trying out those things. They're already in training. We need people to entrain at a ethical and philosophical level. So all of us are needed. We can't wait for the world to change. We are the world. 
And so what can we do today? That kind word, that, you know, little chink of consciousness to move it in that direction. And, and we all, we all have different approaches too. You know, we have to speak our, our own truth from our own way of being right so in terms of if people are newly vegan or old old and would like to have an opportunity to get some advice um with the angst Mm -hmm. the dystopian angst that um results they can contact you for that as well yeah well go on to the veganpsychologist.com website and there's lots of free resources there there's a 30-day training called vegan voices and 30-day mini training with video and, and to actually start to have some of those conversations, just the skills for talking about veganism. Um, but also, um, if we're, we are struggling, why are people won't change? There's also veganpsychologist.com forward slash myths, M-Y-T-H-S. And that might be a four-part free video program on just getting into, if you're curious about those unquestioned assumptions and how we can use that to see where we've got blind spots and then use that as a powerful tool for, for change. And please check out, check out that too. All right. And um, you're doing, you're doing conference work like this uh, though. If people do want to have a session with you, there's that. uh, Yeah, you can, yeah, you can actually go on. There's a contact form. You know, I can have a chat with you to see, you know, what's going on for you to see, you know, just us to initially have a chat um, to actually say, look, what's going on? Am I the right person for this? I can either point you in the right direction or we can talk about how we can, have you know some counseling sessions yeah what a wonderful um uh, opportunity it is to speak with you claire man thank you so much for taking the time yeah and thank you for everything you're doing everybody listening all of us are needed some of us on the world stage some of us are out there on the streets doing uh, some are on doing undercover some of us are making cupcakes to people just to wake them up and open up the conversation so all of us are needed um don't you don't need to compare with anyone else Everyone is actually moving us along. And as Gandhi said, if you think something small can't make a difference, try going to bed with a mosquito tonight. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much, Claire. Thank you. My guest today was Australia-based psychologist and communications trainer, Claire Mann. This interview took place in early June 2020. You can find more plant-powered radio by visiting us on YouTube and by subscribing to this podcast for regular updates. Please be safe and considerate towards all species and thanks so much for listening.